man, this might have been like one of the hardest uh, weeks I had for writing. I don't know what it was, but maybe the subject matter. Uh, the, uh, the, this whole cookbook series, I, like I, the funny thing is I think I had the idea like, oh, this is going to be so challenging to you. And I think really it was just like the things that challenged me. And because uh, I won't forget like the very first time teaching the first week of it, and I was thinking, man, this is going to be the hammer. And everybody comes up and was like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. And I was like, man, are you kidding me? Like, I, like I struggle with that like every single day. I mean, it, it hurt my own gut to say half the things I said in it. And because I think you could look back at my life and I could find myself guilty of the things that I preached on. And, uh, and I think all of these things uh, that I've been talking about are things that at one time I looked at one way and then maybe through age, uh, through slowing down uh, and not being so quick to just jump out there, and, and uh, which, which I think we should do. I, I really think like if, if you would have put me in a school and made me learn half of this stuff in a school, I wouldn't have learned it. I, I, I'm just telling you about me. Like I wouldn't have learned it. It's better for me to have gone through the experiences of life having learned something the hard way because that's just apparently how I learn. Uh, I heard somebody say it the other day, you know, it's one or two things. You're either, you're either going to learn and be smart, or you're going to be dumb and be strong. And so I think I'm dumb and strong, and I'm strong because I learned the hard way, and that's just how it had to be, uh, uh, whether that's how God made me or the rebellion inside of me is so bad, the sin is so great in me that it takes the cross to really beat it out of me, uh, whatever that is. But even as we uh, tackle what I'm going to tackle today, uh, which I can't imagine... Uh, most churches are going to celebrate in, as we step into the next month. They have like usually like a, it's already like all over. I guess because I'm friends with a bunch of pastors already talking about pastor appreciation, which is always weird to me. And maybe this is why this comes at a weird time, because uh, as we step into a month that's called pastor appreciation, it's weird for me to see pastors post about pastor appreciation. Like that seems odd to me. Like uh, you're just you're like announced your own celebratory month. That seems weird. Like if somebody else did it, that might be OK. But it's weird when I see a pastor do it like, OK, uh, I don't think you have to remind your church that it's like that. I mean, like, it's weird. And so this is definitely not what they're going to preach because I'm about to beat that up a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, if you'll turn to Matthew 23, we're going to hang out there. <clears throat> and uh, that's where we'll, we'll begin, Matthew chapter 23. In this 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus begins to take a close look at the leadership of those who are leading God's people. He's looking at the church of that day. He's looking at the organization and, and the leadership skills of those who are in charge. He begins to contrast the present-day leadership with the type of leadership that his church will be defined by. And only three verses in, Jesus begins to already use some stern language when he says, they don't practice what they teach. Talk about an overstatement. Today, I, I'm not sure much has changed. I'm not implying that anyone else is like this, but us, uh, um, I'm saying that we're all guilty. We're all guilty of not, at times, practicing the things that we teach and we say. Uh, if the previous things we've discussed have revealed anything, it's that we struggle with the simple basics of our faith. I mean, the simplicity of stuff. Like, we're so eager to tell people about Jesus that we have yet to figure out how to live like Jesus. 
Like, and, and I get that those two kind of coincide. Like, I still think that just because you, there, there's no excuse that you've not come into the fullness of education not to evangelize, but one is not greater than the other. One is not greater than the other. We, we have a tendency to practice Matthew uh, 29, go and make disciples, but we struggle to do it in a way that honors Matthew 6, do your good deeds in private, and, the, and such a contrast is really embarrassing. And here's the bigger problem, it makes us hypocrites. Makes us all hypocrites. And while you're absolutely responsible for your own growth and your own spiritual maturity and your relationship with Jesus, it doesn't help you when there are others who stand before you just as shaken in their faith as you are. Better you're teaching you, right? There is a story I was told by a man who was formerly. He was a former Assemblies of God superintendent uh, and a nice, wonderful man, great amount of wisdom. And I remember the greatest thing about the listening to him at the latter end of his life here, he's served in some of these high-end leadership capacities and, and places where everybody, all eyes are on him. And I remember him telling a story about he had come down with cancer and had cancer and he didn't want to tell anybody in the church that he had cancer. And so he would get up and he would preach about having faith and all these things about uh, 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 how you should believe that God is going to do something for you, how God can heal you and God can do wonderful works for you. If you'll just pray and believe and have faith. And then he would go home and he would sit in depression and sit and feeling lonely because he struggled in his faith to believe God could heal him. This was an Assemblies of God superintendent. And if you don't realize the, the, how big a position that is, uh, the, the superintendent, let's just say the superintendent of the North Texas district, he is over 530-some, well, probably 560 churches right now. The, churches. The, this was somebody who sat in a position like that. And here he is, he goes, I struggle with isolation, I struggle with loneliness, because I was too scared to tell the people that I lacked the faith the same as them. Because they looked to me to lead, they looked to me to this, and so I felt obligated to be bold and courageous when I had none. Now that troubles me. That troubles me. I think too much, we preachers and teachers and, and, and evangelists, I think too often we approach the pulpit and we make all things look easy. It, as if to say that we're somehow closer to God or more spiritually mature than you. And that isn't true. That's not true. Jesus yells the words, what sorrow awaits you in this chapter over seven times. The Lord takes seriously those who aspire a platform before his people. Jesus faced these people constantly in his ministry. Go read it. They are consumed, they are men who are consumed with authority, which translates into power and the luxuries that the ministry affords them. They are so caught up with their position and leading that they've gone blind to their own life. They have a tendency to look everywhere else but inside. Again, Jesus calls them, listen, hypocrite. Go read the chapter, hypocrite, six times. Just when I think I talk about those who speak from the pulpit too much, I'm reminded over and over in the Gospels how much Jesus talked about them. I had a pastor the other day says, listen, not every pastor's bad. I said, I'm not saying every pastor's bad, but there's a lot of bad ones. It doesn't make me look at everyone like they're bad. I think your fruits tell you about who you are. 
And quite honestly, I, I think most pastors are probably pretty good pastors. Where I do think they struggle is like my, my friend who was the former superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I think they struggle to be honest about their own life. And in doing so, they, they can't be helped by anybody else because they're scared to show how they're, they're scared in your eyes they won't live up to everything you've created them to be. Matthew 23, let's look at 8, verses 8 through 12. It's been like my food for the week. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher. And listen right here, if you're highlighting right here, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must, <clears throat> must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhaust, exalted. <clears throat> it's like my favorite scripture right now. Why? Because I can't stop preaching to you and reminding my preaching brothers of the very truth that Jesus unfolds here, that you're all equal as brothers and sisters we are all equal can you imagine the pressure off my shoulders that there's only one rabbi and it ain't me there's only one father guess what it ain't me there's only one teacher even this morning and it ain't me and let me go a little bit deeper in christianity we all have i know we all have this kind of spiritual fathers those who have, in Christ who shared the gospel with us, we can acknowledge their contribution to our spiritual growth, but we don't refer to them as Father because Christ is pretty explicit about that. Also in Christianity, we, we don't have rabbis or we don't have spiritual guides and we don't have masters. We have the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. We don't have rabbis and we don't have spiritual guides and we don't have masters. What teaches us, what guides us is the Holy Spirit. Now, we do have a, a different set of gifts that are given by Christ to help us work, uh, help us in the work of the ministry, such as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And these gifts, these gifts, however, are an expression of the Holy Spirit in our life. This translates into that it's okay if you want to say pastor. That's okay. Or, or call anybody by any other ministry gift, that's fine. But it's not okay to use that title to gain reverence or some special honor. It's fine to honor someone's ministry gift, but it should not be revered. We revere God, not men. We revere God. I don't know if you're seeing a theme in any of this. There's a reason why Jesus spends whole chapters criticizing those who love titles and who feel entitled. Whole chapters. I mean, that's what we dealt with when we talked about the first time, tell no one. The whole chapter is dedicated to don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like these. He contrasted all the time. This chapter right here, the whole chapter is dedicated to how not to be like this whole group that's leading the church at the moment. He's saying, don't be like them, be like this. In chapter 23, Jesus once again saying the same thing. Don't be like them. Be like this. Now, how we com uh, combat a sense of entitlement that comes from our gifts is by remembering what he just told us. We are all equal as brothers and sisters. We're all equal. And think of how revolutionary that concept is. 
it like beats almost against our own heart because like really, truthfully, come on, we like being led a little bit. We like the responsibility off us. That's why we love evangelists because evangelists have created this gap to where like, well, I'm not really the evangelist. That's not my ministry gift, so I don't evangelize. Well, that's, that's, you're, that's not how it works, guys. That's not how it works. Now, but this is what happens when we look to leaders. We create this thing, right? We create, we've created this big organization. Now, we created this big, I call it a monster, but that doesn't even look like what the Bible says in it. That's why it's hard to evangelize. You ever notice that today? It's hard to evangelize. People understand. They look at one thing. They look at how we, how we talk, how we treat each other, how, they, how we treat the pastor. They look at all these things, and they judge us by it. Jesus was going to change the way they had known everything to be. The idea of having to go through certain leaders to get access to God was about to be over. Because that's how it, that's how it was working. You went to these guys. Only these guys could help you. Only these guys could go to the altar. Only these guys could talk to God for you. You had to rely on everything with them. Jesus said that day's over. That day is over. He reminded his friends. He reminded them that that day had changed. The apostles wouldn't become the church leaders of their day. They actually became the servants of the people. Think about it. They, they, the, the, their basic day were helping the people what? Praying for them, teaching them, healing them. They we're working for them, it almost seems like. And check it out, nowhere in the book of Acts does anybody call Peter like, hey, Apostle Peter. Like, that just didn't become his name. Like, the irony of the, the New Testament is that everybody's got a first name. Nobody has titles in front of their names. Well, maybe Paul, if you don't mind being called slave. Because Paul liked to address himself, well, I'm Paul, you know, the apostle who is a bondservant, a slave of Christ. That was his title. Oh, the slave, that's me. I'm, I'm Christ's slave. I do whatever he wants. I say whatever he tells me to say. But Paul, by creating equality amongst those who are gifted to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, Christ did away with entitlements that come with position. Listen, you're equal. You're not entitled to anything. You're equal. You're the same. You're the same. Doesn't mean you're not gifted. Doesn't mean God hadn't anointed you for something. But you're, you're equal. You're the same. He reminded his friends, the greatest among you must be a servant. If you aspire to be in the kingdom of God, it starts with being at the bottom, not the top. This means that everything and everybody comes before you. And I'm going to tell you, if you, if you desire for ministry and you desire for pastor, hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. It means that everything and everybody comes before your life. What do you want is second. What everybody else wants is first. Period. Man, we, we have a tendency to say in ministry, you don't, if you desire to be a pastor, you have no rights. You gave up your rights to Christ. You say, Lord, lead my life. I'm not entitled of anything. You can take it all, God, and I'll be fine with that. You give up your rights. It's about other people first and yourself second. It's a life of selflessness. Jesus models this as Paul explains in Philippians 2.7. He says this, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. An equal. That's crazy talk. God came down and made himself equal with us. Matter of fact, it says lower than equal because slaves were considered not even equal. They were subhuman. Who does that? 
Who does that? Who gladly leaves the comfort of this life to go be a slave? I don't think when we start out in ministry, that's what we think. I think in ministry, we have ideas. And I'm just going to be honest. When you're young and you get saved, you're on fire. And you just want everybody to feel what you felt. It's the truth. Right? And so you're like, I'm going to go because I feel God's like pressing upon me the fire to teach and preach and these things. And we're going to see so many people saved and you have visions of grandeur. I'm going to have a huge ministry and we're going to have a tour bus and we're going to go everywhere because God wants me blessed so I can do his work. But who gladly leaves up the comforts of this life for the life of a slave? Well, two men by the name of John Leonard Dober and David Nitschman do. In 1732, I don't know if you've heard of the Moravian missionaries, but John and David became the first Moravian missionaries to to the slaves of the West Indies. These young men, listen, because this is like radical stuff, they sold themselves into slavery for the opportunity to witness the good news to Jesus Christ to over 3,000 African slaves. As their ship left the pier and was going out to sea, the other Moravians came out to see them. I mean, like, it spread, like, the rumor real quick, like, did they really, like, just do this? So they wanted to go see these, who these two men are, right? These 20-year-old men who had done this. Their families come out there, they're weeping, because this isn't a four-year mission trip. They sold themselves into slavery. They are never coming back, and they are never leaving that island. They are going to live amongst those 3,000 African slaves as one of them. And they are going to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, are you even able to fathom what that would be like? I know I can't. Man, I would love to tell you, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm going to do that. Uh, no. I mean, come on, I grew up in America. Well, having a rough life to me is just barely being able to afford my bills. Lord, why can't you just give me just enough more so I'm not having to struggle every month, right? These people sold themselves into slavery. They're probably sleeping outside. I can't fathom it. Man, how do you let it all go? Just hearing this story presses upon me the whole concept of Jesus talking to the rich man. In Matthew 19, it records that Jesus met a young, wealthy man who had come to seek eternal life. <clears throat> Jesus is easy. He's like, okay, go, go, and follow, uh, go and obey the commandments. But this doesn't satisfy the man. He feels as if he's already like accomplished those things. So Jesus presses in a little deeper, tells him to, listen, if you're really serious, then go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Give all the money to the poor. Give it all away and just come follow me. And don't worry about what happens to you. And you know the story. He leaves and he's sad because he ain't giving it all away. I think most of us would walk away sad. I don't think we can judge the the young rich guy. And, And the irony is with his disciples still listening to this whole story, right? Jesus gives them like the first little nugget of truth that he's, that's going to lead into what we're talking about today. Again, this is Matthew 19. We haven't even got to where we're at today, right? He tells them this, Matthew 19, verses 29 through 30. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And just like that, we're right where we started. Exploring this idea of equality amongst the body. Another great example of this uh, uh, life, so to speak, is found in Mother Teresa. 
Most of you should know who she is. Here's a woman that after 20 years of working at a convent, she had become its leader. She had become a leader. And rather than enjoy her newfound position and title, the Lord began to open her eyes to the destitute and starving people that were all around her. And listen, uh, there was a lot of trouble between her and the Vatican at that time because they didn't want to give her a bunch of money to help them. So uh, there were no funds coming in, and she would have to go around basically uh, and grab some of the other nuns, and they resorted to begging for food, begging for supplies, getting it anywhere anybody could give it to them. In her diary, she recounts the feeling of being tempted by entitlement. Listen to her voice here. Oh, Lord, our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the, property of the, the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. While looking for a home, I walked and walked until my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul looking for home, food, and health. Listen here. Then the comfort of Loretto, her former congregation, came to tempt me. The tempter kept on saying, you have only to say the word and all that will be yours again. She says, oh, free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come that day. She was saying I could just go back to those who look at me, who have given me title, and entitlement, and I could go live in the comfort of my title and the entitlement that I've earned with a former congregation. But I look past that today because what I long for more than anything is to see God's people helped. So she turns away from it. All she had to do was go back to those who valued her gift and all the pain would go away. She could have enjoyed the comforts of her position, but she did not see herself as better. Rather, she made herself equal with them. In doing so, she became the least of these and thus became the greatest amongst us. By the way, this person who was a thorn in the side of the Catholic religion has now become a saint. <laughs> They've made her a saint. The irony about most of our saints is they were thorns in our side before they were saints. Martin Luther, who started the whole Protestant idea, which he never really intended to do in the first place, he never meant to like break up the Catholic Church and start a whole Protestant movement. He just thought that it was wrong for the Catholic Church to control knowledge and then give us false knowledge, try to make us pay for sins that Christ had already paid for. And they tried to kill him. And now today, what has he looked at? He's a spiritual father. He's like a, a, a spiritual patriarch, a saint to most all Protestants. There is no Protestant religion. There is nothing. Everything that exists out of Catholicism is because of Martin Luther took a stand. And the sad thing is he never wanted to really break it up. He just wanted to set it right is all. It's hard. It's hard. We, we are equal. No one is better than another. Yes, some will be more gifted than others. But your value does not change in the eyes of God. Jesus was trying to drill that into his disciples early. He didn't want them to end up like the Pharisees and religious leaders of their day. This is why he's pouring into them. 
This is why you find whole chapters dedicated to tearing down all the titles and all the entitlements that, of the current religious system. I mean, he's just beating it to death. Whole chapters. And this isn't about whether we should call someone pastor or not. This is all about a heart issue amongst us. This is about seeing the qualities in each person and treating them in a way that we would want to be treated. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how they will know that we belong to Jesus. We will begin to treat each other equally beyond titles, beyond entitlements. Then just maybe we might restore the unity amongst not only our own families, but possibly amongst all races and all nations. We can't even start to think we're going to bring unity elsewhere if we can't even be united here in this little small room. By the way, if you wonder how the Holy Spirit fell, it came because they were all united. The Bible says in Acts 1, under one mind, under one accord. Unity, unity. The, the unity will bring about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're watching the news these days, but this is kind of a big deal right now. The irony is, like, I didn't plan on all that. I didn't write something to plan on the, the time we're having right now, but it's kind of a big deal right now. Titles and entitlements are the talk of the country right now. You can't go anywhere and not hear a story about entitlement. How about the kid who struggles with materialism so much, he's raised by the rich family so greatly that one night at 15 years old, he takes out a parked car and a bunch of other people standing by. He kills four people, injures nine, and he gets off on probation for affluenza, which is a, what they call affluenza is a society disorder. So when a, basically when a rich kid has too much and he's never been told, no, he is psychologically messed up. Yeah, we call that a spoiled brat. Why does he feel the way he does? Because he's been entitled his whole life. Who are, who are you? He feels he's been told he's somebody. Whether his money makes him somebody, that's what entitlement is. So we have no doubt. Like every, like all you know it, right? That's why everybody wants something free, right? We all feel entitled. We know that we're facing a generation that's coming up that's all about entitlements. Come on, man. You, you didn't watch any Bernie stuff? Every kid wants college for free? I love all my military brothers. They're like, yeah, college is free, bro. Go serve. You can go get free college all day long. Go. go. You know, there's free college available. It's out there. Go serve. You can, you can do like a, a reservist and go serve for a couple of years, and then boom, you can start paying for college real quick. Government will take care of it for you. But, I mean, that's, that's the group we're facing now. This whole group, wants, they're in, they feel entitled. Like they're owed something. We have people in positions right now, our politicians, right? They got their fancy titles, their fancy names, everything. It's all entitlements. All, it's a trap. It's a trap, as if they deserve something that we don't. How many, you, like, I, come on, if you just follow politics at all, I know you don't like it. You don't like the fact that senators and congressmen don't have to do anything that the law says, only we do. They don't have the health care system we do. They're exempt from all those things. Why? Because they have a title. Because they're somebody, and guys, you're not. We've created a system of titles and entitlements, and then we wonder where it comes from. By the way, it's not, old, it's not new, right? I mean, that's what we see with the whole religious system here, right? If you're a priest, don't you think that comes with privileges? 
Go back and look at, we studied Eli, and we, we studied the books of Samuel on Wednesdays. And if you remember when we start, started talking about Eli, it says Eli is fat and overweight. I don't know about you, but like when you watch a Jesus movie, do you see anybody fat and overweight? You know why you don't? Because most everybody's poor. Guess who ain't poor? Who gets the, the best cuts of meat? The priest. Eli is the only guy in the whole Bible that dies of obesity. And, and there's a lot of people that die in the Bible, guys. But he's the only one that it says that he was so heavy and so overweight that when he fell backwards, he broke his neck. When your belly breaks your neck, you might have an entitlement problem. And his sons, right? Everybody said his sons were what? Scoundrels. Why did they call them scoundrels? Because, oh, well, they're priests. They're all the good guys, right? Then why are your good guys hanging around with prostitutes? And, uh, like, instead of putting the meat that's supposed to be on the altar, like, uh-uh, man, that's a ribeye. Well, we're going to put this other piece of meat on there that's not as good as this ribeye. I'm going to keep this ribeye for me. And why did Eli keep his mouth shut as a father? Because that ribeye tastes good. You think it's new? Entitlements, titles, right? You think that anything's new? And the hard part is, man, make no mistake, like some of these pastors that get involved, it doesn't start out that way. I don't think any of these guys start out going, this is what, I mean, maybe there's a small, tiny percentage that do, but I think it, we get caught up in it. And I look at a lot of my pastor brothers that, that feel like, like 50% of them feel depressed, man, and struggle with loneliness and isolation. I've heard pastors say that having a friend is a, what do you call it, a, a risk, as a pastor, I was like, risk from what? Are you living a certain way at home that you're not living in the pulpit? Yeah, then it's a risk, man. If that's the case, that's for real. Because if you're living double lives and somebody else sees your other life, then yeah. Yeah. If, if you're not who you say you are and, and you can't be honest about that, then yeah, you're going you're gonna to have some issues. But I, I, would, I would question if you're already at that point in your ministry, you're already failing. You're already failing. You're already falling for the title position. You feel so, and listen, it comes from both ways. I don't, like I said, I think, I think some of it comes from the pew too. We lift them up. We look at them as if they're perfect. Why do you think I spend so much time trying to tell you that I'm not? I'm scared you're going to get this idea and you're going to try to press upon me and elevate me. And, and listen, through temptation, I will want to fall into that. Don't you think, how many of you love uh, affirmation? Right? Listen, you know how that's how, we, that's how the whole good works things happens to us, right? That, that, that's how we fall into religion and how we fall into legalism, right? It's because as a child, you did something good, and what happened? Good job, man. You did so great. Everything was so good, and everything was so great. And so they patted you on the back, and they said everything was good and great, right? And so you, that, through affirmation and affirmation happening, right, you, you associated that the things I do are what make me good. Oh, it goes all the way back to birth, guys. Right? And so as you grow up, guess what happens? When you do good at work, what happens? You get promoted, don't you? Right? So what do we do to Jesus? Man, if I do good for Jesus, then Jesus loves me more. That means if I'm not doing good for Jesus, then he loves me less. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus loves you just like you are. Your whole wrecked, false self. He loves you just like you are. But this system, this is why Jesus came and said, listen, you're all equal. And I love, like, he's not talking to everybody. He's talking to his disciples. Why? Because he's setting up the next church. He's setting up the book of Acts. He's coming. Listen, when we're in the Matthew 20s, you got to know the cross is coming, and he knows it. 
He's trying to prepare him. These things are happening, and these things that bug him, because go look at the whole chapter. He beats up the religious leaders the whole time. Hypocrite, hypocrite. Like every time the whole paragraph starts, you hypocrites. You, by the time you get to the end, he's starting to use the word snake. Don't tell me that uh, uh, he doesn't sit here and harp on this. Why is he stressing you to the point you're all equal? Don't go try to make yourself one greater than the other. Serve each other. Find yourself in the, in the low positions. Serve the people. Help the people. Be their servant. Be there for them. Love them right where they're at. Meet their needs the best you can. You are not better than them. Don't start that way. That's what, as he's trying to say, that's what's wrong with the current system. Do not be that way. Be this way. You're equal. Equal. Everything could be resolved if we would just focus there on the cross of Christ. It's the cross that our selfish ambition that kills our selfish ambitions. It's at the cross that temptations are destroyed. It's at the cross that arrogance, that self-centeredness, that control, materialism, and our lust for titles and entitlements are killed. It's at the cross where we're all equal because we all die and are then resurrected into the image of Christ. Got to love it, right? Got to love it. Equal. I, I, like, I, like, I, I, it, it feels timely to talk about it for sure. Watching the news, watching, you can't read anything on the internet these days, on any kind of news channels, and not see this equality stuff happening. We have our own little civil rights movement. And I know we all have opinions on it, and I know that all lives matter. I'm not going to get into a lot of that stuff. All right? We, I can't fix the world. I, I, can't, I can't fix me. But I can keep pointing to Jesus, and I can keep pointing to God's word, and I can keep praying that people will see and understand and see equality amongst each other. I've experienced racism. I've seen what it's like, and I don't mean like uh, uh, you know, something was racist towards me. I mean, I, I, I have seen racism. I've had friends uh, uh, who were um, uh, uh, African-American and who've experienced racism firsthand, like literally with me right there where I got pulled over one time, and they pulled out my African-American friends, searched them up and down, and then told me, never go drive back in this neighborhood again to drop my own friends off. And so I, I've, 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 seen them, I've seen that it still exists. I've seen that it's still around. And I'm not here to get in all that, but what I tell you where it comes from, it comes from because we have yet to figure out the part where Jesus says, you're all equal as brothers and sisters. If you had the, if you took on like, this is what I love about Paul when he calls himself a slave to Christ. Because if, if, as soon as, if you took on that mantle, I am the slave to Christ. So whatever Christ wants, right? Then you're already beneath everybody. Hard to be entitled. Hard to feel like like some kind of title is oppressed upon you. You don't get too impressed when you say, "Yo, I'm a slave." Like that doesn't like just like you don't have visions of grandeur when you say, "Oh, I'm a slave." That's what I, I'm a slave for God. I do whatever God asks. Whatever God wants, that's what I do. Wherever God says go is where I go. Well, that, yeah, that's great, but it, means, it doesn't always mean it's a great thing. It can mean go to places where you're going to live in poverty and, and you're not going to, it's going to be a struggle to make ends meet and you're, your hope, your kids are going to, like I saw somebody post a video the other day about uh, going uh, to Somalia and sending missionaries to Somalia. <laughs> and at, literally in the video, the guy says, man, some of these people are the greatest people and they'll meet you with welcome arms and some of them got itchy trigger fingers and they'll shoot you. 
And I, all I can think is, okay, it's way too soon for me because my experience were there is not one where I could go there and feel comfortable. But somebody's going to go, guys. Somebody's going to risk their life or the family and going to go over there where it's 100% Muslim. And they don't take kindly to Westerners. Somebody's going to go be the first. And God's going to call them. And it's going to be somebody that probably won't. You ever notice this about, to me, missionaries aren't like the greatest preachers. All the missionaries I've seen, they're not really like the greatest preachers. They have the greatest stories. Why? Because they live amongst the people. They work usually alongside of them or their teachers there. That, that, they're not like what the irony of uh, ministry as a missionary, it's more biblical than anything else we do. <laughs> they literally live and work amongst the people. Somebody's going to go over to a place like that and be the slave to God, for God. No titles, no entitlements. The blessing in their life will be to live. That will be the blessing in their life. If one person... Could, if, if Christianity could set, set a blaze there. That's the type of place where Christianity will, will blaze. Can you imagine? Where there's the most darkness, when you just shine just a little light, it'll light that whole place up. Light that whole place up. Somebody's going to go. You won't see people running in line for that one like, I can't wait, that's going to be me. You're not going to see that because there's, there's no glory in that. There's glory in starting your own church. At least amongst the pastor brothers, they like to talk about church planners. They got 50 million books written on how to do it. They like to have, they have all this stuff, right? There's a lot of glory in all these things, and there's a lot of temptation to fall into these things. But make no mistake, we're all equal. I'm not better than. I, don't, I, I hope you know that. Like when we talk, I hope you feel that from me. Like I'm not better than. Best thing I told, I, I, even my prayers, I feel like they've been answered. And even as I talk to other pastors, they say, what's the best thing going on? I said, the best thing that happened to me is going back and getting a job. That's the best thing that's ever happened to me, man, It's going back to work. Well, and then I love pastors. They're like, well, ministry's work. Like, shut up. No, it's not. No, it's not. You want to go to work? Go to work. Where every fourth word is a cuss word. Go to work. Go, go, go live with sinners. Go be with people who struggle, man, in everyday life. Go every day. Don't live in the subculture. No. Immerse yourself in the culture. Be in the world, right? And, and, and see what the struggle's like to be set apart. See how fast that all that subculture, and you've been hanging in for, for so long, see how fast the cuss word really wants to come out of your mouth once you hear one every day. Like all of a sudden you'll be like, man, where did that come from? Uh, the person that's still been on the inside the whole time, but thankfully your surrounding has been one as such that it's been so guarded and so protected because you haven't really been in the world. You've been in some subcultured part where you're protected and over here in a little bubble. No, best thing ever happened to me was to go to work. It's allowed me to meet people. It's allowed me to love on people right where they're at, not judge them and be with them and go through life and see myself, see where I was when I first met Christ, Right? And know, and know the nurturing that I needed and be able to give that to someone else has been a better blessing. Truthfully, it really has. It really has. And, and the mentality of this, man, I am the same. I am the same. It was so hard to do when all I did was pastor. All I did was ministry and that's it because it's so like empowered upon you really. Title and entitlement, so much empowered upon you. But the truth is I always used to say and I used to tell pastors this all the time that I feel like God called me in the ministry because there was so much struggle in the pulpit that I was always the guy from the pew. 
I never saw myself as a guy from the pulpit. And if you ask most pastors that know me, they'll tell you that I'm not one of them. Just, that's just not my mentality. My mentality's always been I've been one of the people. And I look out for the people. I don't look out for pastors. Even Pastor Robert knows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite him here pretty soon, guys. Uh, some of you know Pastor Robert. Some of you don't. I'm going to invite him to come speak uh, pretty soon. And even Pastor Robert, when he calls me, he only calls me if he's going to talk constructively about his people. If he's calling to complain, he will not call me. Man, you love your people. Your people are never the problem. You are the problem. If they're struggling to understand something and learn something, that's on you. God's given you the gift. You're in the position where God's gifted you to tell them, figure it out. Pray. Figure it out. Love them. Hold their hand. It'll work itself out. Give it time. Be patient. This is God also working us out stuff in us as well, right? But we're all equal, and it has to start here. It has to start here. This, in this way, this, in this way, I don't have a friendships that are like risk friendships. You can come to my house. We can talk face-to-face. We can talk plain. You can slip up and say something you'll probably regret, like a four-letter word. It's okay. I'm not going to beat you up because it takes time. Like everything else, it takes time. Nobody's instantly awesome, okay? Nobody like, dude, I got saved. It was it. Been perfect my whole life. <laughs> my wife, maybe, but that's the closest thing. None of y'all are as good as my wife. I, she probably would disagree with that. She, she totally doesn't feel like that, but to me, she's always been like that. She's always been like the best compass for me in that area. But she has her moments, too, where I get to be Pastor Jim to her, so great moment let's I want to I want to go to worship right here uh, that's a hard message for me because I feel like I'm, I'm almost beating myself up a little bit uh, and as I str- no wonder like I, you hear this message no wonder I struggled all week to write it like as I'm writing I'm like I'm putting my own self down aren't I but I mean it's the truth and if 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 I fail to recognize that as truth and if I fail to live by it then what what kind of teacher am I and if I don't share with you, like, you should have that expectation about any pastor. Like, if you ever leave here and you go somewhere else, listen, that's okay. Like, God doesn't love you less, okay, by the way? You should be able to leave and go somewhere else if you want to. All right? But that pastor should be approachable. He should, you should feel equal. And if you don't, and there's some sense of there's some kind of entitlement or title there, then there's something wrong there. There's something wrong there. If the pastor's not approachable and the pastor's not friendly, then something's wrong. And something does need to be addressed. And maybe that's not for you, and maybe that is. That's something for you to discuss with God. You need to not take that stuff lightly. You can't take it lightly. You need to take that stuff seriously. But the expectation of what Jesus preaches and Jesus teaches us, we should expect to see in the church and in the body. Amen? Amen, Amen, as they're coming up. Let's pray. Let's, Let's stand to our feet. Let's get ready.